0: All right, you guys, go ahead and open up to Romans chapter 8, lesson number 38. Still talking about sanctification, and you're going to see that suffering is a part of our sanctification as we started talking about last week. We're going to look at a message in, entitled, You Do Not Grown Alone. Um, and last week, verse 18 is where we stopped, and verse 18 uh, talked about our present sufferings, and the apostle said, "I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us and so he's instructing us to think about the glory instead of the suffering, but in that, um, he's also going to sympathize with the believers who are groaning for redemption and and when I talk about groaning, in our suffering because we're going to find ourselves groaning from time to time in our suffering. We'll talk about what that means in detail, but I'm not talking about whining and complaining, belly aching, being a crybaby in the midst of your suffering. That's not what groaning is. We're we're all familiar, if we'll get honest, uh, with what groaning is. It's when we get to that point in the middle of our trial, in the middle of our suffering, and I believe this. I believe God allows us to get to that point where we just don't have words. Uh, we, we can't even pray uh, with, with words that make any sense. We, we don't have anything that we can come up with in, in our language to even communicate what is going on in our hearts and in our minds because we are in that battle, in that suffering, in the midst of that trial so deep. And, and we're going to see that when we face that, uh, we, we can have a tendency sometimes, and, and I, I have talked to many believers who they get into the point in the middle of those struggles, in the middle of those trials, and they say this, I just feel like I'm all alone. Uh, you're not. Uh, we're going to see that tonight. and It's very comforting what the Apostle Paul is going to teach us tonight about our groanings in the midst of our suffering, that we never groan by ourselves. You've got an outline there in front of you. Uh, creation groans with us. We're going to see why. Um, other believers are groaning with us. Thankfully, we have our brothers and sisters in Christ who will endure suffering with us and alongside of us. And then we're going to see something uh, really amazing, that the Spirit Himself who lives inside of us is is groaning groaning, uh, with and for us as well. So let's read Romans chapter 8, where we're going to start tonight. Verse 19, on the hills of Him saying, there's going to be suffering. That suffering is going to bring glory. And we know that that glory is not in this life, it is in the life to come paul is also realistic in teaching us that however you are still in this life and because you're in this life you're going to face those struggles so he says this in verse 19 the creation waits eager excuse me the creation waits in eager expectation for the sons of god to be revealed for the creation was subjected to frustration not by its own choice but by the will of the one who subjected it in hope that the creation itself will be liberated from its bondage and decay and brought into the glorious freedom of the children of God. I'll talk a lot about what that means in a moment. We know that the whole creation has been groaning as in the pains of childbirth right up to the present time. Not only so, he said, not only is creation groaning, not only so, but we ourselves, believers, who have the first fruits. That's how we know he's talking about believers. Who have the first fruits of the Spirit. You have the indwelling Holy Spirit in you. The Spirit lives inside of you. you. You fall into this category. He says, They groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for our adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. He goes on and says in verse 24, For in this hope we were saved, the hope of redemption. But hope that is seen is no hope at all. Who hopes for what he already has? He goes on to say, but if we hope for what we do not yet have, we wait for it patiently. And it doesn't stop there. He goes on and he says, in the same way, in the same way that creation is groaning, in the same way that believers are groaning for redemption, watch what he says, in the same way the Spirit helps us in our weakness. We do not know what we ought to pray for. But the Spirit Himself intercedes for us with groans that words cannot express. And he who searches our hearts knows the mind of the Spirit because the Spirit intercedes for the saints in accordance with God's will. That's huge. We'll talk about how huge that last verse is when we get there in just a moment. But I want us to see that when we suffer and we get to the point of groaning, the enemy likes to try to deceive us into thinking that we're all by ourselves. Paul just tells the Romans here, you're going to suffer, but the suffering that you're going to endure is nothing compared to the glory that you're going to receive. And know this, when you suffer, you're going to get to a place sometimes where you groan, Where you don't have words to come up with. To even pray to God. To even communicate from your heart where you are. What is going on. And so, He wants us to understand from this passage that we're not by ourselves. Number one, taking notes, write these things down, creation groans with you. Creation groans with you. Why in the world would creation groan with you? Verse 19, he tells us, the creation waits in eager expectation for the sons of God to be revealed. For those who are going to be redeemed, who have been promised redemption in Christ, how? by faith in Christ, and we know that alone, who are waiting for that glorification that is to be revealed when Christ returns. He says in 20, for the creation was subjected to frustration, not by its own choice, but by the will of the one who subjected it. He's talking about Adam. In hope that the creation itself will be liberated from its bondage to decay and brought into the glorious freedom of the children of God. We know that the whole creation has been groaning as in the pains of childbirth right up to this present time. Creation is groaning because we can't forget this, that when Adam sinned, all of creation, for all time as we know it, was affected because of sin. However, we know also that Scripture promises a future redemption for all of creation. In fact, Second Peter, we, we see this. It says in... 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 10. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief. And on that day, watch what it says happens. The heavens will disappear with a roar. The elements will be destroyed by fire. And the earth and everything in it will be laid bare. All of the chaos and all of the sickness and all of the disease and all of the things that, that the fall of man into sin caused. Remember, man was in a perfect state with a perfect God enjoying perfect fellowship. When sin entered into this world, all of that was flipped upside down. It was flipped into chaos. Now we have earthquakes and tsunamis and we have tornadoes and we have, as we well know here, hurricanes. And all the devastation that has come upon the earth because sin entered in. But there is a promised future redemption For the earth. The earth is groaning for that redemption because here's the thing. Try as the liberals may to save the planet. (laughs) They're not going to save the planet. You can go as green as you want to go. Okay? You can spend all that money on electric cars and and appliances that that are, are, are more efficient. You can do that. That's fine if that's what you like to do but I'm going to break your little hearts right here. You're not making a difference. Because earth was subjected to chaos because of sin. There's only one cure for sin. Everything that is affected by sin has the same cure. That cure is when Christ makes all things new. He's going to do that. It's a promise of future redemption. In fact, Revelation 21, uh, chapter 21 there, verse 1, it gives us kind of a glimpse into that. It says, Then I saw a new heaven And a new earth. Why would there be a new earth? Watch this. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away. Right? The hole in the ozone is finally cured. And there was no longer any sea. And I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Now the dwelling of God is with men and He will live with them and they will be His people and God Himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain. For the old order of things has passed away. That old order that sin brought about upon the earth, it has passed away. He who was seated on the throne said, I am making everything new. Then He said, Write this down. For these words are trustworthy and true even creation is groaning alongside of us during the struggle that we have with the trials of this life and the sin that we struggle with creation felt the effects the creation has a future promise of redemption just as we do all of us who are here in Christ they are there groaning the creation you say well how does creation groan I really don't know. I I think he's making a parallel here to let us know. Creation has felt the effects. Creation has felt the effects of the fall of man into sin. And creation itself was subjected to, he goes on to say, frustration. So they're groaning from a place of frustration. All of creation. Right? We have to ask this question at this point. What is all of creation? Everything but us. He's talking about everything but us. We are the only ones with a a a redemptive chance in our souls. Everything else is soulless. So understand, he's saying that sin brought chaos upon everything. We know it brought chaos upon us. And he has made a redemptive plan for us through Christ. That same Christ who is going to redeem us and glorify us, we just read in Scripture, he's going to glor- glorify the whole earth. How, how and why? How, I can't really answer that for, for you, except for he's powerful enough to do it. Why is so that we can dwell with him on this earth, just as he intended to begin with. Many of you have the wrong idea of eternity. You think that you are going to live with George Burns on a cloud in the sky somewhere for all eternity. You are not. You are going to live on a restored earth, which will be restored as paradise once was before sin entered in. You will see the will of God come to fruition. Man is going to dwell with God on this earth just as He designed it. So, heaven will come down. Earth will be paradise. Everybody understand that? And creation itself is frustrated, the Word says. Placed in a position of groaning until that day happens. All of creation groans because of the fall of man. Because the fall of man Put all of creation into a position of frustration because of Adam's sin, the whole earth and everything in it became corrupt. Please understand that. So when you groan, when you are in your sufferings that will one day end in great glory for the believer, when you groan in your sufferings, know this, creation is there groaning right alongside of you. Because creation was subjected to frustration and creation did nothing wrong. It was the sin of man that threw creation into that frustration. Not only is it a place of frustration that creation groans from, it's also a position of fallenness. A position of fallenness. Did you know this? When man fell, so did all creation. I'll show you. Genesis chapter 3, verse 17. It says, To Adam he said, Because you listened to your wife, Read the rest of it, guys, before you. Amen. Because you listened to your wife and ate from the tree about which I commanded you, you must not eat of it. Cursed is the ground because of you. He cursed the whole earth, the ground. That's what he's talking about. Through painful toil you will eat of it all the days of your life. It will produce thorns and thistles for you. And you will eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your brow, you will eat your food until you return to the ground, since from it you were taken, for dust you are, and to dust you will return. It was a curse that God placed upon the whole earth. Never until He redeems the earth will we enjoy creation to the full magnitude that we will when we are glorified in Christ and the earth is renewed. Now you just think about that for a second. All of us have been to really neat places where it was beautiful, And we thought, man, this is the most beautiful place I have ever seen in all of God's creation. And watch this. Even so, that place is tainted with sin. Think about what it's going to be when it is truly glorified through Jesus Christ in the end. When it's all made new. I wish I could describe that to you, but I can tell you this. I've been to some places in the Rocky Mountains. I've been to some places hiking where they were breathtaking. They were still tainted by sin. They were breathtaking, but they were still groaning for redemption. They were still frustrated. Oh, the day that it will be when we dwell in the presence of God, in the holy city, without any corruption from sin, without any frustration from sin, without any chaos, without any outfall from Adam's disobedience there in the garden. So we see creation is groaning. All of creation, groaning. From suffering. And suffering alongside of the children of God. In fact, it says he's, the creation is waiting for the sons of God to be revealed. Come on, let's get this thing done. Redeem us. Redeem us because creation, though we don't know, creation had a brain. Creation knows what it was like to be paradise before the thorns and the thistles came in. Creation groans. Metaphorically, we know this. Creation desires redemption. So we take that a little further, and Paul does, and he says, not only is creation groaning, desiring to be redeemed from the great fall. Verse 23, he says, not only so, but we ourselves, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for our adoption as Son, the redemption of our bodies, for in this hope we were saved. For in this hope we were saved, but hope that is seen is no hope at all. Who hopes for what he already has? No one. Rhetorical question. But if we hope for what we do not yet have, we wait for it patiently. He's talking about the groaning of the believer. Those of us who have the Spirit inside of us. We have tasted positional redemption. We know that. We are positionally justified in Christ Jesus. We have tasted that heavenly gift. However, Our bodies have not yet been glorified and we long for that. Anybody wake up this morning aching and longing for that? None of y'all. Just me. But we're groaning and we're longing for the redemption of our bodies. That's what he's talking about here. He's saying, listen, believer, when you're suffering in this life, be that persecution, be that the trials, be that the struggles of, of life in general, know this, you're not struggling alone. All of creation. The birds of the air, the fish of the sea, the mountains, the ocean, everything that you see around you, groaning alongside of you. The believer groaning. True believer has an inward groan that is constantly happening, don't we? The groaning for home. How many of you remember the first time you ever went away from home and you got homesick? And you just lay there in bed at night. And you didn't want your friends to know that you were scared, but you really wanted to go home. And you couldn't say anything because words just wouldn't do. You were homesick. The thing is, what Paul's talking about, we're groaning as believers because we're homesick. We are eager, eagerly awaiting the fulfillment of the redemption that we have been promised in Christ. 1 John. John says it like this in chapter 3. He says, how great is the love of the Father, Well, how great is the love of the Father has lavished on us, verse 1 there of chapter 3, that we should be called children of God. And that is what we are. The reason the world does not know us is that it did not know Him. Dear friends, now we are children of God and what we will be has not yet been made known. People ask me all the time, what is it going to be like when we're glorified? Has not been yet made known. (laughs) I can't tell you. I know this, we're going to be in a perfect state in the presence of God. Do I have a clue what that looks like? No. He goes on, but we know that when He appears, of course referencing Christ, we shall be like Him. That's the extent I'm going to be like Jesus somehow. Well, how's Jesus? Perfect. Absolutely, positively. For we shall see Him as He is. Everyone who has this hope in Him purifies himself just as He is pure. We are eagerly awaiting the fulfillment of redemption. We know we have been promised this. We learned just a couple of lessons ago that the Holy Spirit has indwelt us as a promise, guaranteeing us what? The inheritance that awaits us. Hebrews chapter 9 Verse 28 says, so Christ was sacrificed once to take away the sins of many people, but he will appear a second time, not to bear sin, but to bring salvation to those who are waiting for him. So we know this. We've learned this. We, We are saved. We're being saved. We are saved. Justification. We're being saved. Sanctification. And we will be saved, which is glorification. Paul's giving us a taste here In in these latter parts of his lessons on sanctification, he's giving us just a little taste of glorification here and what it may be like. Philippians chapter 3, verse 20. Paul reminds the Philippians, verse 20, but our citizenship is in heaven. And because our citizenship is in heaven, we're homesick, aren't we? We're groaning. He says this, and we eagerly await a Savior from there, the Lord Jesus Christ who by the power that enables Him to bring everything under His control, everything, all of creation, did you know this? Every knee shall bow and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is truly Lord. He says He's able to bring everything under His control and He will transform our lowly bodies so that we will be like His glorious body because we could not dwell in the presence of God in our lowly bodies. So we eagerly await that. And in our eagerness for that redemption, we find ourselves Groaning. You say, well, I don't know that I've ever groaned as a Christian. We'll be a Christian a little bit longer. You will. Long for home a little bit more. And you will. Face the struggles and the trials of this life a few more times because Jesus said you will face all kinds of trials. And before you know it, you will be groaning. And you won't be groaning so that your trial will end. You'll be groaning so that all trials will end. You'll be groaning, Lord, take me home. I want to be with you. I want to be relieved from all of this chaos. I want you to make all things new. He's the only one who's going to do that. And so other believers are groaning with us when we groan, eagerly waiting the redemption and redemption's fulfillment, which will be, of course, in Christ. They're eagerly waiting for that redemption, but they're earnestly longing for glorification. Are you today men, you men in this room, are you earnestly longing for glorification? Are you content with where you are? Oh, I love this world, and it's so great, and it's so amazing. I just want to hold on to it a little bit longer. Listen, the more you grow in Christ, the less you'll want to do that, I assure you. Are you earnestly longing for glorification? 2 Corinthians, the Apostle Paul says this in chapter 5. He says, verse 1, Now we know that if the earthly tent we live in is destroyed, we have a building from God, an eternal house in heaven, not built by human hands. Watch what he says. Same guy. He understands groaning. He says, meanwhile, we groan. Why are we groaning? Longing to be clothed with our heavenly dwelling. Because when we are clothed, we will not be found naked. For while we are in this tent, and he's talking about our earthly bodies in comparison to our glorified bodies, "Is while we're in this tent, we groan and are burdened. Anybody say amen? That's the truth. Let me tell you what, if you're living your best life now, that is unfortunate for you. How can you live your best life now when Paul says we're groaning while we're in these tents? What are we groaning for? We groan because we're burdened about all the suffering, all the pain that we're going through, that others are going through. Because we do not wish to be unclothed, but to be clothed with our heavenly dwelling so that what is mortal may be swallowed up by life. Aren't you thankful that Jesus, who is our life, awaits us for all eternity. He will make all things new. He will bring us to full redemption. Are you longing earnestly for that glorification? If you are, I I promise you this, you will find yourself on your face, in prayer, groaning. You will find yourself walking down the street, doing your job, studying the Word, groaning, longing earnestly for the glorification that awaits us. Oh, He's put it in us through His Spirit. His Spirit constantly reminding us one day this all will pass away. One day all things will be made new. Press on, press on, press on. And so we earnestly long for glorification. Other believers are doing the same as we are. Know that when you're groaning, you're not by yourself. All of creation says we were subject to frustration. All the believers who are true believers are groaning earnestly. Longing for redemption and longing for glorification. Not only are they eagerly waiting that redemption and earnestly longing for glorification, other believers groaning with you, they're enduring patiently. Enduring patiently for God's promise. This is hope through faith. Right? Hope through faith. He he makes that very clear as we read there. That hope that is seen, is that really hope at all? But if we hope for what we do not yet have, we wait for it patiently. It's a reminder. Paul says, as you groan, groan with patience. Knowing that ultimately, God's promises that we trust in by faith are going to come to pass. They're going to come to fruition. There's never a promise that God has made that will not come to pass. A time will not end as we know it, and, 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 and then we look and we go, oh, well, oh, there's four or five. He missed. <laughs> it's not going to work like that. He's going to fulfill all of them. And your glorification as a believer, just as your justification and your sanctification has been promised, your glorification is is promised as well. And so we groan patiently knowing that there is hope beyond all the junk we see in this earth. All the sin and all the chaos that sin brought. Be that the chaos that surrounds us or be that the chaos that is inside of us still in our flesh. So when we groan, Creation groans with us. Other believers groan with us. Enduring patiently as they wait for the promises of God by faith. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 16. He says, Therefore we do not lose heart, though outwardly we are wasting away, yet inwardly we are being renewed day by day. Aren't you thankful that the Spirit inwardly renews us day by day? Verse 17 says, "For our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all." This is how we can endure and groan patiently. So we fix our eyes not on what is seen, but on what is unseen. For what is un what is seen, excuse me, is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. Our faith rests in the eternal. Our faith. Faith does not rest in what can be seen. That's the whole illustration Paul is using here. That when we groan, we groan with hope. And that hope is hope through faith. Hope through faith in God and His promises. Hope through faith in God's Word. Hope and faith through Jesus Christ and the sacrifice that has secured us. Hope through the Holy Spirit who indwells us and gives us that deposit as a guarantee of the inheritance that Christ paid for us to have, and the redemption that we one day will enjoy in the presence of God for all eternity in a glorified state. All true believers, all of you, you will be groaning for redemption. If you have not groaned up until this point after this lesson, I assure you, you will. I assure you, you will. You'll say, man, that's what it's all about. It's about the kingdom that is to come, the kingdom of God that He institutes upon this earth. It's about the ethr- eternal throne of David that Christ shall set sit upon. It is about His rule and His reign. It is about being in His presence for all eternity. That's what this is all about. My momentary and light, just as Corinthians told us, trials and sufferings are nothing in comparison with the glory of the eternal kingdom of God. We groan eagerly, earnestly, longing and waiting for that glorification and that redemption. Or you should. I believe true believers will. And in the face of suffering when you don't have the words to say, you're going to groan. And you, you who have been there know what I'm talking about. You're going to groan. Because creation is groaning. Because all true believers who are filled with the Spirit, washed in the blood of the precious Lamb, enduring struggles and trials and the corruption of this earth, Will be groaning with you. But he doesn't stop there. There's some more groaning. And I find this fascinating. Verse 26, in the same way. Understand these are all chained together. He said creation's groaning. Believers who have the Spirit and enduring in this life, they're groaning. He said, in the same way. Uh, this is for all the people who think that God just leaves us to ourself and abandons us. I'm very thankful for the indwelling Holy Spirit. You're going to be more thankful for Him. Yes, Him, not it. He's the third person of the Trinity. We're going to see the Trinity very clear in this passage in just a second. But hopefully you're going to be more thankful for Him who lives inside of you, who has not abandoned you or left you alone, but He's groaning there with and for you. In the same way, the Spirit helps us in our weaknesses. Anybody here have weaknesses? Does, does the Spirit? Not one. But He helps us. We do not know what we ought to pray for. Ever been there? You will be if you haven't. We don't know what to pray for. We, we just got that phone call from that doctor. man. We, we We didn't expect what he just told us. You don't know what to do but groan. And as you groan, He says, we do not know what we ought to pray, but the Spirit Himself intercedes for us with groans that words cannot express. And he who searches our hearts knows the mind of the Spirit. We'll talk about what that means. Because the Spirit intercedes for the saints in accordance with the will of God. So we see the Spirit groans with and for you. First of all, if you're writing these things down, with intercessory groans. Intercessory groans. It says that He intercedes for us. The Spirit struggles for us by interceding in our prayer life on our behalf when we don't even know what to say. Whether that is interpreted, and I'll tell you this, there's some differentiating differentiating and interpretation on this between many different people. I don't really care how you look at this because there are many people who interpret this as He moves us to groanings in our own prayer or that He groans in prayer on our behalf or both. And I'm going to lean toward both because nobody can come to a clear conclusion and it says that the Spirit is interceding for us with groans that words can't even express. It's irrelevant which side of the argument that you decide you want to live on because it's an irrelevant argument. Here's the thing. The Spirit is interceding for you when He did not have to. Either way, it means that the Spirit is accomplishing God's will through prayer on our behalf. Be that He leading us in our prayer or be that He praying for us or be that both. He is working in our lives either way to accomplish the will of God through prayer on our behalf. I want you to stop and think about that for a second. The third person of the the Trinity who lives inside of us, He doesn't just say, suck it up, buttercup. He doesn't just give you the Sunday school answer, oh, this too shall pass, brother. Oh, everything's going to be alright. Just hang in there. He doesn't give you a smile and some Catchy cliche that he heard or read on some sign at Kirkland. No, the Spirit groans with us. He has that much compassion for us. He knows exactly where we are. He knows exactly what we are going through. And he has compassion on us to the point that he intercedes for us. in groanings, which cannot be understood. Charles Spurgeon said it like this, and I know I quote Spurgeon quite often, and if you don't read Spurgeon, you should. But he says this, groanings which cannot be uttered are often prayers that cannot be refused. Because when the Spirit is groaning for us, He is interceding, knowing full well the will of God. He is praying for us. Or if you are the school that believes He's leading you to pray, either way, He is consistently aligning you with the will of God. Therefore, your prayers will be answered. Even though you don't even know how to pray, that's when your prayers can be the most powerful. When you don't have the words. Groanings which cannot be uttered often are often prayers that cannot be refused. The Spirit intercedes with such groanings. Why? Due to our weaknesses. He tells us that. We need Him. Why? Because we're weak. Go ahead and say it. All you strong men here who are testosterone-filled, especially your young ones, as strong as you are, you're weak. We're weak and we need His strength when our mind is far too troubled to comprehend even what we're facing. 2 Corinthians chapter 12. The apostle says this, verse 8, three times I pleaded with the Lord to take it away from me, talking about the thorn in his flesh. But he said to me, how do you think he said it to him? To the Spirit. He said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in what? Weakness. Because you don't even have words to say at that point in time. Right? All of us guys who are just pull your bootstrap up, guys, let's fix this and let's move on. Doesn't always work like that, does it? No, it doesn't. We find ourselves in a position where we don't have the words. We're weak. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly, he says, about my weaknesses, so that Christ's power may rest on me. That is why, for Christ's sake, I delight in weaknesses. Whoa, Paul has a different attitude than we do as males in America today, right? He says, I delight in weaknesses. He's actually talking about his own weaknesses and insults and hardships and persecutions and difficulties. Notice he said, I delight. He didn't say I whine about, I complain about. I delight in these things. Why? Watch what he says at the end. But when I am weak, then I am strong. You see the paradox there? When we're groaning and we don't even have words to say and we're face down before the Lord, we have nothing to offer him. We have no suggestions. Have you ever come to God and you suggested to him what do you think he ought to do? It doesn't always work out, does it? Notice when we don't have answers, we don't even have questions, we don't even have words. that's when you're strongest. Why? Because the Spirit is interceding for us just as He has taught us here in Romans. The Spirit is groaning with and for you in intercession due to your weaknesses, due to your inabilities. Any of you here got it all figured out? Huh? When you don't have the right thoughts, when you don't have the right words, when you don't have the right direction, when you can't even conjure it up. Here's the confidence that we have in the Holy Spirit who indwells us he is groaning alongside of us, aligning us with the will of God. That's sanctification. That's why He deserves the credit for sanctification just as much as He does the credit for justification. Through our suffering, He's aligning us and interceding with, with the will of God for us and molding us and making us vessels of obedience for the glory of God. Due to our inability, due to our weakness, due to our ignorance. Our ignorance. You don't understand when you go through something fully, while you're going through that. How many times do I get that question? But but why does this happen to me? I'm just as ignorant as you are about it. I can tell you this, that it happened to you because of sin. And I know you're groaning right now. But so is all creation who was subjected to the frustration of sin. And so is every other believer. Stop acting like you're the only one who's suffering. But know this, here's the confidence that we have. When we are suffering... We are groaning. The Spirit is groaning in intercession with and for us due to our ignorance when we don't have it figured out. Are you kind of getting this, guys? The best place to live your life is in weakness and in the fact that you don't have anything figured out. That's called humility. That's real humility. Not the person who brags about how humble they are, right, on their social media. God has really been working with me. I am so much more humble than I used to be. You think? You just posted on Facebook that you're humble. You're not humble. You want people to think that you're humble. You know when we're humble? When we don't have the words to say. We don't have anyone to depend on except for God Himself knowing full well that the Spirit is interceding on our behalf. It's Due to our ignorance that we need His intercession. It's also due to our insufficiencies. We're frozen by our insufficiencies. We have limited ability to do anything. And doesn't the enemy like you to think that you're all by yourself when you're frozen in your inability? I don't know what to do. Yeah, you do. You can never use that excuse again. Get on your face and if you don't have words, groan and know this, that creation and all other believers who've ever gone through anything and the Spirit of God Himself who lives inside of you is groaning with and for you right there. Rest in Him in your weakness. He's interceding for you due to your weaknesses, your inabilities, your ignorance, your insufficiency. And then it says this, and it's very important that we note what he says about these groans so that we don't get bad theology. Because I've heard some bad theologians take this passage of Scripture. Many Charismatics and many Pentecostals teach from this text that the context of this is tongues. And those groans must be tongues. Uh, the context of this is suffering toward glory. It has nothing to do with tongues. Tongues has not even been mentioned. Tongues, tongues is not mentioned anywhere at all in the epistle to Romans. He wouldn't just throw it in there for you. It's not talking about that at all. Prove to you that it's not talking about speaking in tongues and that in fact it has nothing to do with speaking in tongues and that if anybody teaches that it's speaking in tongues, they're taking Scripture out of context, they're in error, and they could be promoting heresy if they're not careful. It's not talking about tongues. Why? It's not talking about tongues because we see that these are incomprehensible groans. They're intercessory groans, but they're incomprehensible. Not with intelligible words. Ultimately, when we look at tongues in any fashion in Scripture, we can go to Pentecost, and we see this when people spoke in tongues. And just to help you out with your theology here, the word tongues is a word called glossolalia, and it means languages. So before you start giving Every t- everything that you see labeled tongues, some idea that some Pentecostal charismatic gave you, just remember, start with the real definition, languages. And so we see at Pentecost that people spoke in all sorts of languages and everybody heard it in their own native tongue, okay? Now, was that intelligible? Yeah, they heard it in their own native language can't be talking about tongues when it's talking about the utterance that the Spirit's making here and the groanings, can it? Because it says these are not intelligible. You can't understand them. They're groans that words can't even describe. That you are groaning with, that creation is groaning with, and that the Spirit is groaning with. So at Pentecost, everyone understood in their own language, so it can't be talking about this. We know that the prophetic tongue that we see there in Corinth We know this, that there had to be an interpreter. Why did there have to be an interpreter? So that everybody could understand it. So that it wasn't something that they didn't understand. So that it was something that was clear. Here's the thing what he's talking about when he's talking about these groans, we can go back and we can read it in case you missed it. It says, In the same way, the Spirit helps in our weaknesses. We do not know what we ought to pray, uh, pray for, but the Spirit Himself intercedes for us with groans that words cannot express. That statement right there proves to me that it's not talking to tongues. and anybody tries talking about tongues and that anybody who tries to insert tongues in this is just looking for some outside Scripture to try to prove some point that they want to make. How many of you have been around any Charismatics or Pentecostals who tried to say that this was talking about tongues? How many of you would agree now that that can't be what it's talking about because these words can't even be described with words we would ever understand? Because you know why? That's what it just said. Isn't it funny how the Scripture really says what it says and if we read it for how it says, we don't get confused with all the other stuff. So what is the Spirit doing while he's groaning? I don't know. I can't understand it. Even if I could hear it, I couldn't understand it. It wouldn't make sense to me. Why? Because he says it wouldn't. So to try to describe it into something that I can actually make it make sense, I don't know. I know this, that he's groaning with intercession and he's groaning with, with, with compassion for Those of us who are believers who are going through whatever it is that we are going through that is causing us to groan, he is groaning with us. Just as our father hurts with us when we're children, when we skin our knee, and he picks us up and he puts his arm around us and everything's gonna be all right. And he's gonna probably get some some peroxide or whatever, methylate, that's what we used to use, right? Yeah, dirt. That that sometimes works. That's why he walks with a limp. But the thing is, they would doctor us and they would nurse us back. They'd put you on your bike and everything would be all right. We would would get back after it again, right? Because he had compassion. Right? Have you ever grown with someone else? Huh? Right? You've grown watching the NFL, I assure you. Somebody takes a hit and you go, mmm. Right? You You didn't have any words to describe what you just felt for that person. Same thing that the Spirit does for us. The spiritual sense. There are no words to describe the level of compassion and intercession that He gives for us when we are suffering. So note that we can't take this, as many people do, and apply it to something that doesn't belong. He's talking about the Spirit joining in with creation and with other believers as we groan for redemption, the redemption that will be revealed in Christ. So these groans, totally incomprehensible, As we know, many of the things of God are totally incomprehensible to our mind right now. Isn't that true? Who can know his mind? His knowledge is too much. So we see that these groans are intercessory from the Spirit, incomprehensible, insert quick theological discussion so that you don't fall into the trap of the Charismatics and the Pentecostals and teaching an error there. Then we see these are identical groans. I want to talk about this a lot. Identical groans. What does that mean? It means this. These groans are identical in agreement within the Trinity. The Trinity agrees in identical, identical groans for all who are believers. 2 Corinthians chapter 1. And I'll clue this up and make it make sense for you. It says this in verse 3. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of compassion and the God of all comfort who comforts us in our, in our troubles, so that we can comfort those in any trouble with the comfort we ourselves have received from God. For just as the sufferings of Christ flow over into our lives, so also through Christ our comfort overflows. If we are distressed, it is for your comfort and salvation. If we are comforted, it is for your comfort, which produces in you patience, patient endurance of the same sufferings we suffer. And our hope for you is firm, because we know that just as you share in our sufferings, So also you shall share in our comfort. He's saying this that all of us as Christians suffer. And our suffering comes with comfort. And our comfort comes from God. Many ways. One of the ways in particular is the way that we're talking about tonight that a triune God is groaning. I'm going to show you the Trinity in this before we dismiss. Is groaning in agreeance. With our suffering, while we are suffering, in agreement with the Spirit. They're identical groans. We see that there is a divine agreement. Go back and read the last verse there, verse 27. And he who searches our hearts, who is that? One would say God, one would say the Spirit. Let's break this down a little bit. Let's read it all. He who searches our hearts knows the mind of the Spirit. Couldn't be referring to the Spirit there, could it? Because how would something know the mind of the Spirit if He was a different person? He who searches our hearts, He says He knows the mind of the Spirit. That means this. They're in agreement; They're in one accord. Because the Spirit intercedes for the saints in accordance with God's will. So who is the He? Which is pretty interesting. We can find that out very quickly. That it is, of course, Jesus. There in Revelation, I believe it's chapter 2. Turn over there. Maybe three, you'll find it. It's going to talk about He who searches the hearts. It's in one of the seven churches. Two twenty three. Yep, I will strike her children dead. Then all the churches will know that I am He who searches hearts and minds. If you go up above that, we know this, that it is referring to Christ. So, we see that in Revelation 2.23, I thought it was in 2, but I couldn't remember exactly which verse, but I didn't want to leave you here without knowing that. So Revelation 2.23 confirms to us that in verse 27 here, it starts off with Christ. It says, And Jesus... Who searches our hearts knows the mind of the Spirit because the Spirit intercedes for the saints in accordance with God's will. We see God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit all at the same time in that one little verse. That's for all you people who don't want to believe in the Trinity. All in that one verse agreeing with the will of God. Agreeing with the will of God. The Spirit interceding on our behalf so that the will of God is accomplished even when we don't have words to say, even when we are in the midst of our struggle. Psalm 116. Psalm 116. says this, The Lord is gracious and righteous. Our God is full of compassion. We see the compassion of the entire Trinity right there in that verse that we just read. As we break that down, I want you to emphasize in your mind that there is the third person of the Trinity, the Holy Spirit living inside of you. Groaning. And He is a groaning what? In accordance with whose will? Yeah, the will of the Father. And Christ is in agreement because that brings us great comfort. Why? He's our heavenly intercessor, right? Isn't He our mediator before the Father at the right hand of the throne forever interceding for us? So we see there, and I get excited about things like this. You might not. I get excited about things like this to know that a triune God who I can't even fully comprehend with my pea brain is making complete intercession in accordance with the will of God in my life as I struggle and as I groan through the trials of this life waiting for the glory that is to be revealed in Christ. The entire Godhead sympathizes and groans in agreeance with your suffering and with my suffering as a believer. The title of this is You're Never Alone. Right? You're never alone. You do not groan alone. The Godhead Trinity groans with you. That's compassion that we can't really fully understand. That the God of this universe would take the time, number one, to care. But He does. Then the God of the universe would send His only begotten Son to this earth to rescue me through a sacrifice that He did not owe in my place. That He would then place His Spirit inside of me as a deposit guaranteeing the redemption that the future holds. And then while I am struggling in this life, and we struggle through trials, through tribulations, through temptation, as I am struggling through persecution, the Godhead Trinity intercedes on my behalf, bringing me into the will of God. Not just in this life. Watch us ultimately for all eternity. We will be brought into the will of God because of the Trinity who is in agreement fully with everything that we have seen tonight. You will not ever groan alone. For all the people who think that God is so far off, you can't touch Him. Let me tell you this. He's so close that He lives inside of you. He's so close that he lives inside of you. Though the Father is dwelling in paradise, though the Son is seated at his right hand, they are all in agreement because the Spirit is interceding with groans on our behalf. The entire Godhead sympathizing with this once scoundrel who has been redeemed through the precious blood of Jesus Christ the Son. Philippians chapter 3. Verse 12, says, it's not that I have already obtained all this or have already been made perfect. Paul says, not that I have been glorified yet. Not that I have obtained righteousness. But I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. Brothers, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it, but one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and straining forward toward what is ahead. I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. He's saying, even in the face of my struggles, I press on. How do we press on? How do we press on in the the midst of all the suffering? Because we know that we do not suffer alone. All of creation longs for the redemption. All true believers are longing and groaning for redemption. The Spirit, in agreement with the Father, And the Son groans with us as well. Moving us, allowing us to persevere and to press on. To press on for what? That which God has called me heavenward. What is that? Glorification. That's what it's all about. That's the whole reason that He has called us. He wants to restore us so that we can have eternal fellowship with Him just like it once was before sin entered in. Creation groans with you. Other believers groan with You. The Spirit groans with You. All longing and waiting for the glory that will be revealed when Christ returns. Anybody looking forward to that? Let's pray. Lord, we love You. We thank You so much for Your Word. We thank You for the truths that Your Word contains. Lord, we thank You that when we don't have words to say, that Your Spirit intercedes for us. Lord, we thank You that one day even creation that fell into subjection because of sin and into frustration Lord will one day be cleansed and made new by Your mighty hand. Lord, we thank You that we as believers have hope. That that hope is not something that we have yet taken hold of as Paul said, but it's hope that we have by faith that You have given us. Lord, we long For that hope to be revealed. We know that hope will be revealed when You return. You make all things new. You allow us to be glorified because of what You did for us at the cross. That we may dwell in the house of the Lord forever. We give You all the praise for it. We give You all the glory for it. Let us live our lives out of appreciation for what You've done patiently, longing, waiting as we groan. Thank You for the hope that we have in Christ. We pray all these things in Your mighty name, Lord Jesus. Amen.